Welcome to Cool Explorations, I'm your host Tony Peters. Today our segment is called Reject the Intrusions of Strong Delusions. It's a segment from The Gospel by Mike O'Dowd. We're all pounded and often feel overwhelmed by all the deceptions and lies that are thrown our way on a daily basis. It can be quite exhausting. The same is true in our lives with Christ. Satan is constantly throwing lies and deceit our way, using the line, but does the Bible really say, to try to make us stumble. Stay in prayer, stay in contact with a mentor, talk to your pastor, and stay rooted in your Bible. These are all tools that we have for rejecting the intrusions of strong delusions. So many things about our nature and the cultures we live in have left us ripe for delusion and deception. As we come to our next stop in the short journey through Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, uh, and we'll see that Paul is addressing a problem with the young Thessalonian congregation that was deceived by a false teaching about the day of the Lord that was contrary to what they'd clearly been taught uh, and therefore should have been contrary to their expectations. We are not really aware of it in our own lives sometimes. We get easily deceived and it's the same with them. Uh, were we not aware of our own susceptibility to be deceived, we might be deceived into being unkind towards a bunch of Christians so easily duped. But since we can humbly acknowledge we are spiritually kindred to the Thessalonians and therefore also susceptible, the message and challenge to reject the intrusions of strong delusions is for us as well as them. And just like the Thessalonians, the message which may lead to our own delusions, can leave us shaken and alarmed. Therefore, we need to stand fast in the truth, because the wicked, mighty powers that seek to delude men and women prove their power to be the most effective in lives of those unarmed with the truth. For the Christian being unarmed in this way is inexcusable and leads to unfortunate and unnecessary consequences. We see this in a distressing way with the Thessalonians. Though we are not always aware of the deceptions immediately, the devil is a very cunning beast. Uh, We're called to be prepared for this very reason. We're called to take up the full armor of God and to be wary and not let the beast shake our faith. We must call upon the Lord for our strength. In the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, and in the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, Paul speaks often of their afflictions under persecution, in one instance telling them, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, and that's 1 Thessalonians 3.3. Yet in teaching them in 1 Thessalonians 5 about the coming uh, wrath which God would bring upon the world in that extended period of the day of the Lord uh, and what it entails, Paul told them, for you yourselves are fully aware of this aspect in the day of the Lord, but God has not destined us for wrath. To sum up a point Paul made to the Thessalonians in his prior interactions with them, as Christians, they were destined to be afflicted by persecutions, but also as Christians, they were not destined for the wrath that would come on the day of the Lord. There was a distinction between these two experiences, and Paul very confidently told them that they 
knew this. Nevertheless, they were shaken and alarmed, and the cause for their concern pertained to a deceptive teaching about the rapture with respect to the day of the Lord. In verses 1 to 2 of the second chapter of this letter, Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. If you look carefully at these two verses, you'll notice that what was disturbing the Thessalonians was a teaching they'd received by some means from a person or group claiming to be Paul and those ministering with him, uh, further claiming that the day of the Lord has come. The tense of the verb has come indicates that the claim that the day of the Lord has arrived and was presently ongoing. Uh, In other words, if this claim was from Paul and was true, then the Thessalonians were presently living in the midst of the wrath of the Great Tribulation and either missed the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, the rapture of the church, which Paul had taught them about in 1 Thessalonians 4, or had misunderstood Paul entirely. In either case, they likely construed that their present afflictions were evidence that they were in the Great Tribulation. Uh, yet, you can you can take a look at it and really imagine uh, why they were shaken and alarmed. Uh, you probably would have been as well. But Paul makes the point that they have been misled in the first part of verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. He then proceeds to demonstrate to them why they cannot be in the midst of of the time of God's wrath and the coming day of the Lord, providing the proof to the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord has not come. Continuing in verse 3 and through verse 4, Paul writes, For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is released, the son of the destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Verses 3 and 4 are often misunderstood as teaching that this rebellion and the revealing of this man of lawlessness are a prerequisite indicator to the coming day of the Lord. But if Paul was making that point, uh, he would be contradicting both his own teaching and the widespread teaching in the New Testament that both God's deliverance and God's judgment in the coming day of the Lord are imminent. Coming like a thief, uh, could that happen at any time? Yes, without forewarning. Remember, the Thessalonians are convinced they're in the midst of the day of the Lord, not in the time frame leading up to it. Paul essentially tells them that's impossible for two reasons. There will be first... A great rebellion against God in this time and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed to take leadership of this rebellion in flamboyant fashion he will ultimately claim to be the supreme God of gods and publicly proclaim himself to be God in the temple of God most likely in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem either restored or newly constructed during the tribulation period 
Paul's point is that these things clearly aren't happening yet. Therefore, the day of the Lord clearly hasn't arrived. And by implicating the Thessalonians, should see that they haven't missed the rapture. Paul gives them sufficient proof to this point, but then chastises them for not knowing better. Uh, Paul challenges the Thessalonians to stand firm in what they've been taught, beginning with the fact that they've been taught about the day of the Lord. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 5, Paul is telling them, basically, come on guys, this is nothing new. Remember his words to them in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-2, says, You have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware of the day uh, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And you get the hint that Paul's frustration back in verse 2, when Paul told them not to be quickly shaken. In saying quickly, Paul was telling them that they had far too easily abandoned what they knew to be true, but Paul isn't done with reminding them of what they know because they've also been taught about the Holy Spirit's role in the day of the Lord. Paul continues in verse 6, And you know, the Thessalonians already possess even further understanding, which should reassure them. Uh, Paul reminds them in verses 6 to 8, that this man of lawlessness will ultimately be brought to nothing by the Lord Jesus, but that he won't be revealed until God removes that force that is now restraining him. We'll see in a moment that this man of lawlessness will be supernaturally empowered by Satan, but that, in a mysterious way, this lawless power is already at work in the world. In Ephesians 2.2, Paul calls it, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And 1 John 4.3 describes his power as the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The fact that this power is already at work explains to the Thessalonians and to us why they, they're presently suffering affliction, but this restraining force and the one who now restrains also offers another explanation as to why the day of the Lord hasn't yet come. The restrainer is most likely a reference to the Holy Spirit because such a force has to have the power to restrain a satanic power. Furthermore, there are grammatical features used here to describe the restrainer that are otherwise unique to how the Holy Spirit is described by Jesus in John's Gospel. And so, if the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, who will one day move out of the way, consider what Robert Thomas offers in his commentary as an explanation for what this actually means. It says, The special presence of the Spirit as the indweller of saints will terminate abruptly at the rapture, just as it began abruptly at Pentecost. Once the body of Christ has been caught away to heaven, the Spirit's ministry will revert back to what he did during the Old Testament period. Um, Thomas's explanation is very plausible on a number of levels, uh, but most importantly within the immediate context, Paul is reminding the Thessalonians of things they've already been taught in order to reassure them that the day of the Lord could not have possibly come yet. All told, Paul is telling them that there has been no great rebellion 
and no man of lawlessness, and no removal of the restraint, and that the only day of the Lord event that could explain that removal would be the rapture. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathered are being gathered together to him. This was the premise and principal aspect of the day of the Lord that had shaken and alarmed the Thessalonians in the first place, presumably having missed it. But they are not destined for wrath, another point Paul has already made to them and makes once again. But now, in a way, that draws attention to how easily deceived they were. And as Christians, we should not stumble over the deceptions of the wicked because of who they are in Christ. By being prepared and trusting in the Lord for our strength, uh, we'll be ready for the day when Jesus Christ calls us up to be with him in the rapture. If we're not prepared, we'll be shaken pretty easily uh, and our faith will waver. Uh, in a mo- any moment of weakness, the devil will swoop in and take hold of that weakness. He looks for any opportunity to lead us astray. Uh, so we really need to be cautious not to be easily shaken. We need to stand firm in our beliefs and the foundation of the Bible. The Antichrist's power to delude the perishing will be supernatural. In verse 9, Paul says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Uh, It will be by the very power of Satan that this man of lawlessness comes, and Satan will seek to mimic the coming of Christ's process, hence the name Antichrist. Power, signs, and wonders were all means that God used to validate Jesus as the genuine article, as the promised Christ who would come into the world to save it. In the same manner, the Antichrist will be validated by his Lord Satan, but his objective will be to destroy rather than to save. Paul teaches the Thessalonians in verse 10 that the sum of the Antichrist's work will be directed at those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. This too is a a subtle rebuke to the Thessalonians uh, who were deceived by a power that should only be able to mislead those who refuse to love the truth. And although the Thessalonians are suffering persecution at the hands of those under Satan's sway, they can rest assured that God is in control in all these manners. And we can take the same comfort in our own lives. For even the Antichrist serves God's sovereign purpose to judge the perishing. In verses 11 to 12, Paul writes, Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Ultimately, the schemes of Satan played out through the lives of wicked people today, and a lawless man tomorrow serves God's purpose to bring condemnation upon those who reject him. As the verses immediately following 2 Thessalonians 2 show, Paul ultimately sought to comfort the Thessalonians. Uh, And he was trying to do this through his teaching in this passage, and to include this point that 
God sends a strong delusion to enhance Satan's aims, at least towards a particular audience. So God is in control. No matter what, God is in control. Satan may think he has control, but God will ultimately be the one in control. For many people today, the thought of God permitting or even capitalizing on the performance of evil is on the surface disturbing. But if we look more deeply than a surface understanding, we should see that this is consistent with the absolute sovereignty of God. A sovereign God must be sovereign over evil as well as good. Otherwise, he is not really sovereign at all. God's great story of redemption and restoration, unlike most pagan religions, isn't a story of a subtle uh, struggle between good and evil gods. It's a story where the will of the one true God is brought to pass so that even those who exercise their freedom to do evil will ultimately discover that their actions have paradoxically served the eternal purposes of our one true God. Paul tells the Thessalonians that the one true God sends a strong delusion on those who are perishing, but he tells the Thessalonians directly, let no one deceive you in any way. In the time of the Antichrist, Satan will use him to deceive many. During his time, he will use any trick up the devil's sleeve to draw people to him and away from God. And this tells us of the deceiving power of the devil and warns us really not to underestimate our enemy. Verses 13 to 15 close out this section of Paul's teaching to this church. The Thessalonians had been thoroughly taught on matters of the day of the Lord, which, by the time of the writing of this letter, included a right understanding of how the rapture fit into the overall scheme of this future period of God's deliverance and truth uh, and wrath. Yet, they were deceived. They fell for a lie. And so, Paul wraps up these concerns in verse 15, commanding them to stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So how do we stand firm and hold? Let's start with the foundation of God's word, which is a sure place to stand on. We should strive to accurately handle God's word. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul charges Timothy to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If God's word can be rightly handled, then it can be wrongly handled as well. In the preceding verse, Paul gives us a sense of what he means here by rightly handling. When he tells Timothy, speaking of his flock, to charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. That's verse 14. The Thessalonians, afflicted by persecutions, were likely given over to a false message which played on their fears, aroused by their circumstances. Their handling of God's word was swayed by unhealthy emotions. And we've seen people in the church very knowledgeable of the content of scriptures and very accurate in their theology, still wrongly handle the scriptures by expressing their convictions 
through the unhealthy emotion of a quarrelsome spirit. And as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, that has no edifying effect, but only ruins the hearers, ultimately leaving all concerned under the sway of the, a spirit which ought to have no power over us. But led by the spirit of truth, we can hold the convictions in a matter which is pleasing rather than grieving to him. We also stand firm when we hold to sound convictions with a sound spirit. In Second Thessalonians 2, the Thessalonians are comforted by the truth that many of those who afflicted them would know the finality of God's judgment in due time. But in a fallen world, some of those who afflict us come to Christ through our witness. Even some like Paul, who once was Saul, God alone knows who is truly perishing and must receive strong delusion. For us to assume we can take this his place in, in bringing condemnation is a strong delusion we can sometimes bring upon ourselves. So whether from the mystery of lawlessness already at work in the world or from the innate delusions of a, our fallen nature, let us reject those intrusions of delusions. In order to remain strong and be a warrior for Jesus Christ, you must prepare yourself and be in communication with God in your everyday lives. Read his word and know that without Christ, you will not resist the false teachings of the devil. Let the Holy Spirit be your filter. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. I hope you've enjoyed this segment. Satan is the great deceiver, and he would like nothing more than to make Christians falter. He wants to shake your faith to the point where you fall away from Christ. We see this happening at an alarming rate as our youth leave the home. When they leave the home, they leave the faith. We have lacked and failed to properly educate our children with proper biblical teaching. We feed them the bare minimum. Then we expect them to be able to go out and withstand all the deceptions that are thrown their way. A shallow base of faith is easily uprooted. Study all of the Bible and teach the meaning and purpose of each story to your children. This will strengthen your faith and theirs. You will then be able to reject the intrusions of strong delusions. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.